Hello and welcome to episode 139 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, your Western Conference Finals Edition. My name is Jonathan Reimer and joining me this evening, Mr. Christopher Sines. Good evening, sir, and welcome. What's going on, Black and Gold family? Happy to be back again. Another victory, another match. Always great to defeat the Galaxy, especially in the playoffs. They may be able to hold it over our head about them beating us at their stadium, but since we've come into this league, we've knocked them out of the two times that they've made the playoffs. Oh, amazing. Love that. Joining us as our opponent correspondent this week will be the return of Landon Cottom from Moon Tower Soccer, getting us ready for this Western Conference final versus Austin FC. But first, my friend, let's back it up. And let's dive into LAFC's 3-2 victory to advance to the conference finals versus the Carson Galaxy. You ready to break this game down, brother? Oh, gosh, it was a nail biter. But yeah, oh, yeah, let's relive it. Let's do it. 12 minutes, something happened that I feel we have discussed so much on this show already. Questionable pro referee decision making. So I'm going to ask you, amigo, pooch, which I still just pronouncing the name that way bothers me. But whatever it is, what it is. Pooch goes in, flops wildly inside the box, for which he was later fined. Murillo gets up, gets in his face about it, and is like, hey, dude, that's an absolute flop. Pooch comes in, throws a little headbutt on Murillo. Murillo attempts to sell that as full snake oil style, goes on the ground, is on the ground for a very, very long time for what was some very small amount of contact, for which he was fined as well, too. But by letter of the law, did you think it should have been a red card versus Pooch? I don't really know that whole red card for non-football actions, right? Like, I don't feel like it was so blatant that with the intent to injure, I think it was more of like an intent to intimidate. So I, I do feel that the yellow card was appropriate. But you know what? I mean, I don't know. I also think, too, that in the 12th minute, like you're never going to see a red card in a game like that in a decisive game, because that's just totally going to influence the game, especially a player like that. You know, so I think that given all those circumstances, the referee was never going to give a red card in that situation. By letter of the law, by letter of the law, if you intentionally headbutt another player, it's a red card. It does not say you have to hit them hard. Letter of the law says if you intentionally headbutt another player, that is a red card. It does not say that you have to headbutt them hard in order to get the red. Well, I mean, when you look at that replay, I mean, does it look like because intentionally, right? Like there has to be when they were showing it on the replay because I watched it the day after it was live. I, mean, I obviously watched it live, but then I watched it again. And uh, the broadcasters were talking about. Of course, it was a homer with Landon Donovan. You, but... oh, come on, we're way in the broadcast when it's Landon <laughs> Donovan on the broadcast. But it's just, hey, is the actual intent there? Is it 100% clear-cut evidence one way or the other? I don't know, dude. It's, you know, I, I think that if we would have lost this game, again, this is where if we would have lost this game, we would have looked back and be like, oh, that's a terrible call. It should have been a red. But, I mean, at this point, because we have the hindsight and we saw that the victory was the victory. Like, you know, again, the oversight committee who looks at all these calls and looks at all the referees. I mean, if they didn't come out and say, yes, that should have been a red card. Like I have to say at this point with all of the people that were reviewing it, if they still don't feel that it was a red card, then it, 
it shouldn't have been a red card. My next door neighbor happens to be a diehard Galaxy fan, and I was talking to him about this, and his opinion, straight red. He was astonished that Pooch made it out without a straight red. So just saying, I, you know, the Galaxy fans are even saying it probably should have been a red card. I agree. 12th minute conference, you know, semifinal. It's unlikely that that soft a contact is going to result in a red card, but I, I think it's pretty clear that there was intent there. He winds up and hits him, and it, it certainly looked like a headbutt. And you could see by the expression on Pooch's face that he knew he had he had done something wrong there right away. But uh, let him play. Okay, all right, I get it. I, I hope that goes both ways throughout the course of the rest of this particular postseason. There's just that little birdie in the back of my head that says, if that was Mario. And Mario had done that same soft headbutt on Pooch. Mario would have seen red there in the twelfth minute, and and that's the part of me that still has no faith and no trust in pro referee to call this game the same both ways. You know, the biggest difference in that though is that you know a, a gentleman uh, with the size of Mario initiating an aggressive action like that on somebody as tiny as Ricky Pooch. Like, you know, they're, the optics are drastically different than what actually played out with itty bitty Ricky Pooch sending a headbutt that, you know, was like in his chest, you know what I'm saying? But I, I understand the hypocrisy in this situation and the uh, lack of fairness is uh, what is concerning. But um, I think we just have to go into this match against Austin and the next match against whoever it is from the Eastern conference, uh, just knowing that the, the chips are going to be stacked against us. Nobody wants us to win. Right. And it's like, we're not going to be given any favors from the referee. We haven't had favors all season long. Why are they going to give us favors now? Even though we're the first place seed and we have the home field advantage, we're going to be like almost like underdogs. Like people are going to be rooting against us. You're not wrong. You're absolutely not wrong. So let's go ahead and fast forward about 10 minutes. We arrive at the 23rd minute. Carlos Vela has the ball top of the box, assessing his options, finds that Buanga has gotten the right side of his defender, a beautiful little ball in when everyone was expecting Carlos Vela to shoot to that back post. He instead finds Buanga, who fires it into the back of the net, and we are up one nothing. Describe your elation in that moment when we went up one nil. You know what? I was definitely very excited. Again, I'm not someone that gets overly emotional one way or the other during the ebbs and flows of a match. You know, it was early, and I'm glad that we went out and had the lead. It's definitely way better than the alternative of being down early. But I was just overly, a little overly cautious. I think that. Uh, you know, the Galaxy were still playing a high press. So I was not comfortable with that lead just because I felt that there would still be a lot of opportunities for the Galaxy to come back. And sure enough, within, you know, just over 10 minutes later, they tie it up. And so it's, you know, I was happy to see them get the lead. But again, I, I, I wasn't like, oh, like taking a sigh of relief. Do you know how many games LAFC have lost when they scored first this year? Three. One. Wow. One game. And that was a game in which we ended up getting a red card going down a man. And they scored two after we went down a man. So LAFC have only dropped three points from a winning position this entire season. Well, and it took a red card. That's probably not a true stat. Dropped 
three points. I mean, they might have dropped two points in ties. I'm sure that they they had tied matches where we had scored first. But touche, I'll give you that. Grants here, as you mentioned, ties the game right before halftime. Would have been so great to go into the locker room with that one nil lead. But look, this Carson team, especially with you know the arrival of Pooch, has been a completely different team. I really think they were arguably the second best team in the Western Conference going into the playoffs. You know, the additions to their squad and and their new form is something they found late in the season. A lot of people are certainly very high on them season. So it was a difficult game, a game in which no one expected it to be a cakewalk. So we roll into halftime 1-1 right before the half. None other than everyone's favorite player a.k.a. the snake, Raheem Edwards, finds himself a yellow card. So we got two Carson players on a yellow, including Pooch, which, you know, ultimately, I think, ended up changing the game, right? Obviously, the red card would have massively changed the game. But even having Pooch and Raheem Edwards on a yellow really did sort of tip the scales slightly in the direction towards LAFC. But it didn't take very quick coming out of the half for pro ref to decide they needed to even things out. We've got yellows for Palacios, Murillo, and Vela all issued in relatively short succession there as we find our way into the 70th minute. At that point in time, Vela gets a cramp. And I don't know about you, but my heart kind of went into my stomach just a little bit seeing Vela limp around and get down on the ground and ultimately have to be pulled from this match. Now, I know this is not the first time we have seen Carlos Vela leave an important match early. However, Carlos Vela has played 90 minutes in every single LAFC playoff match prior to this point. So, yes, we've seen Vela go down in big, important games, especially versus the Galaxy, and either not be able to start or leave a match early. But seeing him go down there in the 78th, the game still tied at one. Was there a little bit of fear, a little bit of trepidation seeking in for you, my friend? You know what? From my vantage point, it wasn't clear cut. You know, uh, I saw him go down and it wasn't, you know, like sometimes Carlos will elongate the time that he's on the ground. And, you know, he like, you know, gives you the look where he's, you know, testing out his leg and seeing how it feels. And so I didn't really recognize it as a time where he's like, oh, man, he might be hurt. I, you know, and seeing Carlos get pulled in the, in the 75th or later minute, like that was something that I wasn't, that's happened, you know, several times throughout the season. So when it happened, I didn't register it as, oh man, he might be hurt. I registered it as, Hey, we're looking to speed up the pace a little bit. We're tied at one, one, we're looking to put some people in that might be able to, to stretch the ball and move it up the pitch. Uh, it wasn't until, you know, the interviews after that they addressed it and talked about, um, you know, the potential injury and Dolo had to just come out and say, hey, look, it was a little bit of uh, cramping. And plus, you when you read his body language, when he walked off the pitch, like he was upset that he was getting pulled. So those are those are some of the key things that made me like not really think that he was injured. Again, watching the replay on television and they show the replay over and over and over and you, they, they show you, you know, him kind of favoring then I was like, oh, wow, it, it did look like he might have had something. And that's why it was an issue that had to be addressed. But live at the stadium, it, it didn't really register with me. Part of me that has a little concern about Vela's fitness level, if he's cramping in a playoff game after so much time off here, you know, there's got to be something going on with his, his health and nutrition in well, order for him to be cramping at this point. Let's be honest. If Dolo decided to pull Carlos Vela as a precaution, and he's like, hey, I don't know. And he pulls him. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, instead of saying, Hey, I made the wrong choice. You just are like, Oh, it's just cramping. You know, you write it off as something that the media would potentially buy so that they move on to something else and they don't look more into it as opposed to being like, Hey, look, I didn't know what condition he was in. So as a precaution, I took him off. Turns out he's fine. You know, I probably could have left him in blah, blah, blah. It's just like, Oh, you know, cramping. Maybe the one thing that didn't have me too concerned about Vela's departure is the arrival of a player who has arguably been this year's game changer, Quadwo Mahala Opoku. Such a fierce work rate from him. It took about a minute after he stepped onto the pitch for him to have a direct impact on the very next goal. It's Hollingshead who fires the ball across the front. Opoku gets the slightest of touches on it, one that ultimately proved being very important because it then ruled Denny Bowanga to be back on side for him to have the tap in at the back post. Whether or not Bowanga was actually offside on the first pass or not was not entirely clear, but the fact that Opoku gets just the slightest of touches on the ball as it was coming across the front of goal resets that offside. So massive, massive, albeit minuscule touch there from Opoku because I do not want to place that decision in the hands of pro refs. But as it stands, we get a good goal. Buwanga, we get the lead. It's the 80th minute. We got 10 minutes left in the game. We got a 2-1 lead. All we're going to do is, is just ride this one out to victory, right, brother? Nothing else is going to happen. Bro, at that point when the 80th minute came around and we scored our second goal, I was like, right on. This is perfect timing. Like, you know, we can last 15 minutes and play some really good defense for 15 minutes, right? Like that's, I was like, that's not too big of a window for us to really buckle down. But man, a few minutes later, uh, that it was crushed at that point, bro. In the 85th, ugh. In the 84th comes arguably who's been, I mean, outside of Chicharito and his prowess, the person who I think has been the best attacking player for the Galaxy this year in Jovalich. I have no idea, absolutely no idea why this man does not start games because he is so prolific in front of goal and his ability to score, I think, is frankly unparalleled on that team. Chicharito is a totally different type of striker. You know, he requires service. You know, he he needs to be fed the ball in the box and then he'll do something incredible and find that little inch of space he needs to get a good shot off. Jovalich, on the other hand, is just a brute force. I mean, he seems to find a way to power his way through and get goals virtually every time he's subbed in. He comes in in the 84th minute and there was a little birdie in the back of my head that said, hey, we had better watch out for this guy because this guy can kill you. And lo and behold, LAFC have one of their worst defensive sequences of the entire match. We see possession come streaking down our right side. Galaxy charging through the left there. Got two or three really well-placed passes off in a row. Jovalich finds a spot where, I mean, he's got a defender in front of him. He's well outside the box, but he perfectly fires a ball. Back corner, tie game. The whole Carson away fan section is chucking stuff on the field and everybody's going crazy. And at that moment, I had a little bit of concern. Knowing that Jovalich was on the field, seeing that LAFC had kind of taken their foot off the gas a little bit. We were starting to look a little bit less physically dominant throughout the course of of those waning minutes of the match, as is to be expected with fatigue at that point in time. That was part of me that was really crestfallen when that second goal went in. Didn't stop my chanting, didn't stop my cheering, didn't stop my supporting, period. But uh, there was definitely part of me that said, oh, no. Oh, no, please, not this. But lo and behold, we get ourselves into stoppage time. 93rd minute, one of the greatest 
greatest moments in LAFC history. And I want to wind back just slightly before the corner that ends up netting us that game winning goal. But I don't know if you noticed who it was streaking into the box there, fighting off Koulibaly that ended up earning us that corner. None other than this year's game changer, Quadwo Mahala Opoku. Opoku is absolutely fighting Koulibaly to try and get back on that ball. And all Koulibaly's got to do is just shuffle the ball out of bounds. He's just got to let it go out of bounds, goal kick for the Galaxy. But what completely changed this entire game was the fact that Opoku's fresh legs and fierce work rate was fighting himself to get that ball. And Koulibaly ultimately gassed at this moment, felt he had nothing left to do but just fire the ball back and give LAFC the corner. And that one little split-second decision where Koulibaly did not feel like he had the ability to just usher that ball out of bounds and Opoku's work rate and him scrambling on a ball that was heading out of bounds, right? He doesn't have to go after that ball. He could just give up on it, reset, and get ready for the kick coming out. But instead, he fights all the way to the end line for that ball and earns LAFC that corner. A corner where we got beautiful, absolutely beautiful service from Acosta. And I personally have called out service on set pieces and on corners throughout the course of this season i have to say in the last few matches he has really really turned into the player we all thought he was going to be with regards to his service exactly like what we see when he's out there with the u.s men's national team the service from acosta was pinpoint perfect no idea what galaxy are doing on defense to leave a man that wide open at the back post but You have to say, so many of LAFC's corner attempts have gone near post, near post, near post throughout the course of the last month or two that clearly the Galaxy were cheating to that side. Acosta saw it, fed a ball to that back post. First shot comes firing in, catches a deflection. Arango roofs it, and the place goes absolutely nuts. From my perspective, where I was sitting in the North End, you know, it's really difficult to watch a match from the North End. It's not really your job there. You can't really see what's happening. So I saw the corner come in. And I saw the shot get taken and I could hear that instant like, oh, when I knew that Bond had saved it. And I thought for sure Bond had collected the ball. And then in my blocked vision, I just saw the ball shoot the top of the net and pop it up. I had no idea who actually shot and fired the goal until I saw the replay a few minutes later. But absolute, absolute pandemonium at the bank. That place exploded. What was your reaction to our game-winning 93rd-minute goal? Oh, man. I mean, at that point, there was, you know, jumping and cheering and hugging all the friends that were sitting in there and in the stadium around me. And it was, you know, gosh, that was such a huge sigh of relief because, honestly, after the uh, Jovalich, the goal that that tied it up, I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, we're going to go into extra time, right? Now we've got an extra 30 minutes of play who knows what could happen if we're still tied after that? Like how heartbreaking would it be to have to go to PKs? And at that point, PKs are, I mean, gosh, it's, those are coin flips, bro. Like it can go either way. Nobody really earns the victory, right? Like it's all just kind of a little bit of luck, a little bit of bad luck. And I just, I would hate to see a match like that go to PKs and especially for, to have us like lose in the event that, that it didn't go our way. And so I was really, really relieved, super, super elated and really relieved just the fact that it was finished in normal time. Arango storms into the crowd, finds his wife there in the front row behind the S10s. Could, couldn't even get Arango's wife in with the S10s. I mean, come on, what's going on with that, guys? You know, Chavo 
DJ Flick, what up? You can't you can't let can't let Chicho's wife in there. But uh, he climbs his way up into the stands, finds his wife, gives her a little kiss. I thought that was a very touching moment. One that should have earned him a yellow card for exiting into the stands. However, a, a slight stroke of brilliance, perhaps by Dolo at this point, he subs Arango off before he can come back into the match and receive that yellow card. So Arango avoids the yellow. Kilini comes in to see it out. LAFC beat the Galaxy. For the second time in our history in the playoffs, both times we have faced them and we advance to the Western Conference Finals. Now, Chris, I'm asking you, when you look at the Ole game, the 5-3 win, the DO game, that massive first ever playoff win for the Black and Gold versus the Galaxy a couple years back, 2019, versus this 3-2 victory with a stoppage time winner. What is your favorite playoff win versus the Galaxy? Oh, bro, it's, I mean... You'll never forget your first, bro. It's that first one to me. I mean, this one was by far the most excited game that I've been to since that game, right? It definitely was a match that you wouldn't forget. But let's keep in mind and put a little perspective. That MLS playoff match, that was the first time we'd ever beaten the Galaxy, right? So... That one is always going to be special for several reasons. You know, it was the first time we beat him. That was the last Zlatan match, right? Like the seeing him walk off the field, the shot that was taken, you know, with the 5-3 in the background and Zlatan walking down mid-pitch, bro. Like, I mean, that match, I don't think will ever be topped when it comes to playoff victories you know because that was just such a significant match in LAFC history I'm hearing a lot of people say that they preferred this 3-2 win to that 5-3 win given the the late fireworks and the dramatic and how it all happened I I have to agree with you the 5-3 for me takes the cake LAFC now have two wins in their postseason history both at the hands of the Galaxy we are undefeated versus Carson in the postseason what remains to be seen is whether or not LAFC can get those final two wins, beat another team in the playoffs, and advance to the first MLS Cup in club history. All right, my friend, that about wraps us up for the game versus Carson. Before we get into our opcores, a couple other things that have happened in the world of MLS this week I kind of want your reactions to. It is award season, and the awards have passed out, and well, spoiler alert, LAFC didn't win any awards. We have a supporter shield. We have home field advantage for a potential MLS cup. And I would take both of those awards over any individual accolades. I think I speak for the entire black and gold community when I say that, but your goalkeeper of the year, Andre Blake, Philadelphia union, your defender of the year, Jacob Glesnes, Philadelphia union, your coach of the year, Jim Curtin, Philadelphia union. And your young player of the year, although my goodness, if they had voted after the playoffs, it might not have gone this way. But FC Dallas's Jesus Ferreira. All right, my friend, I know how you and I both feel on this, but your reactions to the post-year awards. The coaches that were in the running, right, for this whole, for the coach of the year, it it really was down to four people, in my opinion, right? There was Dolo. There was Nancy, who from uh, Club de Foot Montreal, like I put that little, little, little 
little uh, emphasis on that. Say magnifique uh, as I'm sitting here drinking some French wine. So it works out perfect for you. There it is. But Wilfred Nancy from Montreal and Josh Wolf from Austin and Dolo. Those are my three candidates that I was like, those are the most deserving, right? Seeing where Montreal was a year ago, seeing what they've done now, right? I think that Montreal, especially a heavy underdog, right? Like I, I, I don't think anybody really expected Montreal to be anywhere near the top of the table at the end of the season. Austin and, and Wolf taking a team that, by and large, is the same team that he had last year, right? There, there's really not too many additions that they had. And taking a team that went from second to last in their first season to second place and the dominant fashion that Austin was scoring. And again, taking Steve Turundolo with which I think that what didn't play in his favor was that everyone expected him to do well with the roster that he had, but still broke the record for wins as a first year head coach, you know, supporters shield. I mean, all these things, you know, especially where you look at his record as a head coach previous to LAFC. So this is really his first time being a head coach at a premier first division level. You know, all those things I felt were working in his favor. I mean, I like, I, I couldn't even think what Jim Curtain did, dude. Like I could, I couldn't, I couldn't think why this man would deserve it, you know? And when you looked at the results, I, I just, when you looked at the percentage results that was sent out, it was, it was like a landslide. It wasn't even close. You know, I mean, let me look this up real fast. I, I posted it. Well, it ended up being actually really close in the final voting there. Uh, I mean, Curtin at the only end percentage, up- right? Yeah, at the very end percentage, he, uh, Jim Curtin ended up getting twenty three point five seven, and Wilfred Nancy got twenty three point four seven. But like general managers, general managers overwhelmingly picked Jim Curtin. The players, twenty three percent of the players picked him, and the media where. Wilfred Nancy got it was the media, you know, uh, Curtain only had 17.9% of the media, whereas Nancy had 43.9% of the media and Steve Trundle came in at third place at 14.5%. And I just, I just, I don't understand it. You know, like I, I think the only thing that works in Philadelphia's favor is how low their salary budget is that they're spending on players. That also is coming from a club who has, you know, been developing players for several seasons. Their academy players are coming to fruition. You know, the uh, you can see that they're putting out talent that are competing at a high level. Brendan Aronson was a former Philadelphia player. His brother Paxton is a Philadelphia player who's who's playing well. And I, I just, I don't know. It to me, how much of that is him versus you know the players around him? I don't, I, I don't know. If you look at year-over-year performance, Philadelphia is not remarkably better than they were last year, right? So, I mean, again, I'm I'm scratching my head on this one as well, too. And if your only argument is, well, look what he did with the payroll spent, to me, that's more of a byproduct of their academy, their scouting, and their general manager than it really is their head coach. And you look at what Dolo did as a first-year coach, a team that wildly underperformed last year, didn't make the playoffs, took them to Supporter Shield, integrated a ton of new players, had to deal with all of this pressure and media circus around Gareth Bale and Giorgio Chiellini and Danny Buonga and all these big-name stars that come into this team. And people just look at him and go, oh, well, you know, you had such great players, that's why you won. And yet, you know, you look down this roster, and the guys who are putting in the biggest performances, I mean, look at the progression of Palacios from last year to this year. 
look at the resurgence of Hollingshead from last year to this year. I, I mean, the work that Dolo has done in order to make the role players around this team, the emergence of Quadwo Mahalo Poku, you know, I mean, there's so many players that have been integral in LAFC's success this season that are not your big name marquee players. Right. And and maybe Gareth Bale not scoring goals, you know, maybe that that August slide when we'd sort of run away with the supporter shield hurt Dolo. But I, I, to me, he had the most difficult season to deal with, given the expectations, the market, the arrival of players. You know, he took a team that was out of the playoffs last year and took them to a supporter shield. It astonishes me that he didn't win or at least that the vote wasn't closer. I think there's a lot of East Coast bias when it comes to a lot of this stuff in general. You know, our games take place much later at night. The American sports reporting media tends to have a blind eye to most things that are happening in the West. And I get it. You know, I, I mean, that's fine. Hate on us. But Dolo was coach of the year in my book. He absolutely deserved it. I, I really just am astounded that the vote was not closer. And I really don't understand what Jim Curtin did tactically, what he did to motivate players that put him so far ahead in people's minds above a coach like Chirundolo, who took so many underperforming players last year to new heights this year uh, and had to battle with all of the pressure of so many different media circuses going on around the team and was still able to get them to a Supporter Shield championship sitting in the catbird seat looking at the Western Conference Finals. Just, I don't know, man. That's just one of those things. I mean, you know, in order for LAFC to win these awards, players have to absolutely run away with it, right? You look at the year in which Carlos Vela won MVP and he was, you know, he had one of the greatest seasons a player has ever had in the history of this league. And there was still people that didn't vote for him. I just, it makes no sense to me how, how this voting goes down, but it is what it is. I will die on the hill that Dolo got robbed, but, uh, any other final thoughts as we get ready to start looking to the Western Conference final and prepare for the arrival of Landon Cotter, my friend? Yeah, absolutely, dude. I'm looking forward to it. It's good to have him back, and I'm, I'm excited to see what it is that they have to say in terms of, you know, the preview of this upcoming weekend. I, I you know, I'm, I, it's, it's going to be exciting one way or the other, you know, and it, and it is, you know, that uh, Austin team is definitely able, very potent, and can score quickly uh, on a dime. I hope that LAFC shows up and plays, and it's it's going to be a good, a lot of fun this week. Unfortunately, the time is terrible. Curse you, ABC. Damn yous. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not great. No one likes, you know, a kickoff at noon for a game of this magnitude. Although I suppose for you know many of us European fans watching games early in the day is is something we're somewhat used to. In fact, noon is you know arguably one of the better kickoffs if you're watching European soccer. But uh, we are not on that continent. We are here in North America, and it would have been nice to uh, you know I get it. Look, ABC had first choice of which game they were going to get. They had the twelve o'clock slot. They picked LAFC. They're doing it for TV ratings. That's fantastic. How about we have a great atmosphere and a great game and a great product to put on that TV broadcast? And maybe we take a little bit of that into mind when we schedule these games. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's go ahead and bring in our opponent correspondent. Folks, we'll be right back after this quick break with Landon Cottom of Moon Tower Soccer. Yo, this is Shavo from System of a Down, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Joining us for the very third time, representing Moon Tower Soccer, Landon Cottom, here to catch us up on all things Verde and Black. Welcome back to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, Landon. 
Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me. I, I wasn't sure if I would be seeing you again so soon, but here we are. I think, no, I think, I think we, we had a feeling this was going to happen. <laughs> I think we even talked about it the last time you were here, seeing the playoffs, and lo and behold, here we are. It's like this the scratch pick if you're going by rankings, but like, how often does, does that actually happen in the MLS playoffs, right? Definitely not something that you see uh, in, in the common day and age. I think that they said that the last time that this happened was like in 2015 or something like that, to, that the number one and number two seed and the number one seed was also available on, you know, NYCFC being the number three seed. It's It's been, it's been quite sometime you know and just as a fellow western conference football fan just a little tidbit of information that i have been repeating at at nauseam i'm i but uh since 2015, it has been only two representatives to represent the Western Conference in the MLS Finals. That's Portland or Seattle. So this is going to be the first time since 2015 that the Western Conference is going to send somebody other than Portland or Seattle, which I find to be very interesting. Get out of here, Cascadia. That's it. They didn't even make the playoffs. <laughs> Yeah, I think that pretty much busted anyone's Vegas bet on what the playoffs were going to look like in the Western Conference. I don't think there's a single person, and I'm sure Austin fans, you guys can talk ad nauseum about uh, the talking heads and their predictions for this season. But nobody, absolutely nobody, had both Seattle and Portland not missing the playoffs, even those folks in Austin, Texas, I would imagine, Landon. Oh, yeah. I I don't remember what my bracket looked like preseason, but I almost certainly put both of them in the playoffs. It's it's interesting to look at it. You know, last season in the playoffs, not a single California team or a single Texas team was in the playoffs. And this year there's, you know, the two from Los Angeles and two from Texas. And it's, it's just, it shows the turnaround within the Western conference. And it's, you know, it's just, I mean, overall Austin has had a great season, uh, you know, obviously finishing second in the West 16 wins, eight ties, 10 losses on 56 points. I mean, you guys have totally turned your season around from where it was. And obviously from the few times we've had you on this season, uh, you know, we've talked about the progression, but, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about how you felt Austin did as a whole throughout the whole season. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's look back to the second time we played LAFC when I think that's probably the high point of the season. I think we were, I think we were first in the in the West at that point. I think maybe that put us over. But from that point on, we didn't do that well, really, for the rest of the season. We didn't have that many more wins. And so getting to the end of the season, even though we are pretty much set in second place, it didn't feel that way here in Austin just because the team wasn't looking super good coming into the, the playoffs starting and so I think we all kind of had to remind ourselves that like, no, no, this has been an amazing season. And there's a reason why we could do so poorly for this last month and still be in second place because we were so good for so long. And so I think we kind of had to like reset that way of thinking going into that first playoff game. And it seems like maybe the players needed to reset that way of thinking as well, because that first playoff game did wasn't pretty and they they scraped their way through and and lived to learn the lessons of it but yeah overall it's been amazing but it didn't always feel like that over the last couple of months so let's go ahead and dive into your two playoff victories that have got you here to the western conference finals so we'll start with rsl so kind of take us through from the austin perspective how that game played out before saint stuber showed up at the end and saved the day i went on a rsl podcast and i think i predicted the score was going to be three to two austin and it was going to be a midsummer austin performance that we were going to give up two goals early and then fight back and end up winning and I was kind of joking when I said that, but that's almost what ended up happening. And so it's just one of these games where Austin comes out not 
completely keyed in to what's happening for the first few minutes and get punished for it and then have to fight back. The good thing is that they've shown that they can do that several times. I think it's four games this year where we were down 2-0 and ended up winning. And then five or six times we were down 2-0 and got a result out of it. And so uh, it like I don't know that anybody in the in the stadium was panicking yet because the goals were so early. But it was still probably the most stressed out I've felt in in recent memory for sure so walk us through the game goes to PKs and what is the emotion like to see those two massive massive saves there in penalties to put you over the line oh it was amazing like the that was the q2 is is wild on uh the, the hottest Wednesday night in August q2 is still rocking and I think whenever you guys came to town last time, set kind of a new bar that game was kind of the new standard the end of that rsl game was the new standard and then we'll get into what the new standard is after the rsl game but it was insane it was yeah there was just this very nervous yet excited energy and then the kind of explosion of relieved energy that happened after Schmidt skies that last penalty was was pretty amazing. It's uh, I don't know that I'll ever experience anything like that again. Arguably one of the worst PK misses I have <laughs> ever seen. I remember thinking like, oh man, so much pressure. Like he's gonna sky this one, and then he didn't just sky it. I mean, he hit that ball halfway to Mexico. I mean, that was that was an impressive miss. So you get past this difficult, hard fought PK battle, and what do you get next? But the MLS postseason version of Copa Tejas, a battle versus FC Dallas. So walk us through the 2-1 victory. Yeah, I mean, this one kind of had the Austin fan base split because the other option was Minnesota that could have come through and played us in that round. Minnesota at this moment in time is probably not as good of a team as Dallas is. Uh, that Their game ended up being kind of close. And so I think there's some people thinking like, okay, for strategic purposes, I'd rather see Minnesota because I think Dallas is a better team. And we've never beaten Dallas at this point in time. The best result we've ever had is a draw. But the people who kind of like live for the hype, live for the emotion, were like, no, 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 no. give me Dallas. We want Dallas. We This is the best way to beat them. And so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of nerves coming into this one. But Austin came out firing immediately. The, I think the first goal didn't come until the 24th, 25th minute, but it felt late, honestly. like It seemed like we should have maybe scored a few by then. And I think there was one clear off the line in the second minute or something like that. But um, they came out really confident, uh, playing really well, and just really shut Dallas down from doing anything. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing uh, Senor Lobo was talking about after the game, uh, Coach Wolf, excuse me, sorry, terms of endearment. <laughs> you know, he was really talking about the energy in which the team played with in the first 30 minutes of the match and how it was night and day from the RSL game. So when you have two such juxtaposed performances where a really difficult first 30 minutes versus RSL, a sensational first half versus Dallas, you know, which side of those teams is going to show up here in the Western Conference final? And and what do you think, you know, Coach Wolf and the rest of the technical staff has to do in order to sort of continue to fix that first 30 minute problem going forward? Yeah, I, I don't know the answer. I, I What I hope is true is that they came out of that RSL game learning a lesson. And I can't remember, it might have been on extra time. I heard somebody saying this, but Usually, if you get taught a lesson in a playoff game, you have to wait until the next season to actually implement those lessons. 
Austin FC was given the blessing of like, okay, we learned a lesson and we get to play again next week. And so what I'm hoping is like, we learned it once, we're good now. And it's not going to be an energy thing. It's not going to be a, a focus thing. If if we get beat, it's because the other team plays better than us. And so that's my hope. I, I think the other thing going into this one is kind of the the strategy of, of what Wolf will run out because he kind of threw a change up to Dallas in that game by sitting back a little bit, letting them have the ball in the first half. And Dallas looked confused. They did not know what to do. And we kind of did the thing that teams have done to us all year by giving them the ball, taking it, uh, hitting them on the break, which is not a thing Austin has done often, except for the time we played LAFC in LA. That was really only time we've done that this season and then ran it out again against Dallas and it worked. And so I think if they can run out the game plan and our, our, the players are focused with that game plan, then maybe we won't see the lack of focus, but it's also been a thing that's popped up and bitten us several times throughout the season. So maybe it will still be a problem this one. I think it's going to be interesting to match this upcoming weekend. I mean, if, if the Bank of California is anything like it was the previous week against the Galaxy, the stadium atmosphere is going to be electric, you know, and, and the bank is always a great atmosphere any night of the week, but there also seems to be another level that is hit in that, in that environment that I'm not necessarily sure that you guys saw when you came to the bank in May earlier this year. So, and I I think that there will be a little bit of that environment that might be able to help LAFC, but you guys are going to have some assistance from a player that we didn't get to see either of the times that we played you. And that's your new designated player, Emiliano Rigoni. He signed a two-year deal. Uh, He was signed in July, but I don't believe that he made his debut until the game after LAFC. That was, you know, and he's he's played in nine matches for you guys, no goals or assists as of yet. But how are you guys feeling about Rigoni as a player in your system? And what do you, you know, is it hopeful? Is this slower start just, you know, part of adjusting to the league? Or how is your evaluation of him so far? Yeah, I I think... Up until this last game against Dallas, I think pretty much anybody here would have told you like, this is one for next year. Like he's, he's not quite settling in fast enough to really be a big difference maker this season. That being said, he came on and played uh, 35 minutes or so against Dallas and really did look, look really good. He had probably two times where he should have had an assist. Martin Paz makes a really good, a really good save on Diego Fagundes. That would have been an assist for Ragoni. And then a couple of other chances that that were close to going in that would have been assists for him. So I think really the the Dallas game is the first time that he's genuinely making Josh Wolf ask the question like, okay, am I am I going to start you for this one? Because I think before, just based on performances, Ethan Finley was was the guy. And if you're betting on it, I would bet on Ethan Finley to start in this game. And to use Rigoni as a super sub, but he looked, he did look really effective against Dallas. And so I would not be shocked to see him get run out uh, as the starter uh, because he, he is just way more talented than Finley and way more talented than probably anybody on our team, except for Drew UC. Uh, But it's, we've seen this with every player that's come into this team that it's a complicated system. It takes time to get settled into and to kind of know, not only like he he does stuff on the field that you look at him and say like, oh, this is a really talented player, but it's not quite clicking into place with everything that's going on around him. And Finley does that really well at this point. He knows exactly where he's supposed to be at any given moment. And it's just not there for Agoni yet. So 
Um, I really don't know what we're going to see. Like I said, if I was going to put money on it, I'd bet to see Finley. But either way, whoever doesn't start will probably still end up getting 25 or 30 minutes. All right, we'll hold off on those starting 11 predictions. We'll get there in a sec. First things first, I want to rewind the clock a little. Those who don't learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. And so far this season, Austin has had LAFC's number as far as wins and losses. So if we roll the clock back to May 18th, we have the 2-1 win for Austin at Bank of California Stadium. A bizarre game in which LAFC outshot Austin with 18 shots, 7 on goal, to Austin's 9 shots, just 2 on goal for Austin. However, both of those shots found the back of the net. LAFC managed only one goal in their plethora of attempts for the game to end 2-1. LAFC with the lion's share of possession, 58% there. We fast forward to August 26, the game in which, you know, Steve Chirundolo said his players just didn't want to run that day. But nonetheless, the final score ended up 4-1 Austin at Q2 Stadium. Uh, Austin, in this case, uh, managed 11 shots to LAFC's 15. However, Austin were able to put nine on frame to LAFC's five. And of course, we know the final scoreline 4-1. Possession, once again, favoring the black and gold in that game, 52-48. to So what, if anything, can we extrapolate from those two very different games, but obviously alike in their results as we look forward to this weekend's matchup. I mean, I think it shows that Josh Wolf has a decision to make in how he wants to set up against LAFC in that road game. We did, we played a bit out of character for what Austin normally does. And it worked out the one back here at Q2, they did not change anything. They, they played the game they've been playing all season and went toe to toe with LAFC and, and beat them. And so like you said, uh, like I think there was probably some players on the field who were not working as hard as they should have been during that game for LAFC, and Austin punished them for that. I don't think that's going to happen in this game. And so does Josh Wolf think, okay, with this LAFC team that is finally kind of getting back into form, integrating these new players and looking really good with these new players in the team, can we go toe-to-toe with them at their house, or do we need to change it up and do something a little bit different? So I think that's the big decision he has to make. And I'm I'm very, very curious to see which one he's going to go with. Strangely, both Austin and LAFC seem to have found form this season in yielding possession and being the team to, you know, counterattack, counterpress. But both teams clearly can't play that strategy in the same yeah. match. It doesn't work that way <laughs> if both teams don't want the ball. Somebody's going to have to step forward and take the ball. So I guess that brings me to the question of tactics. What needs to happen tactically for Austin in order for them to see through this game with a victory? And what are the concerns you have tactically that if they fall into these particular pit traps, LAFC will be heading to the MLS Cup? I think one thing that we saw in the Dallas game that I would really like to see run out in this game as well is if you look at like MLSsoccer.com's graphics, graphics anywhere, they always like the lineup graphics always have Austin FC set up in a 4-2-3-1. And the truth is, They've almost never played in that shape offensively. It's almost always. I think maybe in the game against LAFC away and maybe one other game and then this game against Dallas, have it, has it been a true double pivot this season? And so it was Alex Ring sitting next to Danny Pereira. I think in that shape, you can afford to still push forward and keep the ball a little bit. But if you give it up, you have two guys there kind of shutting down the middle, trying to to stop that counterattack, to stop LAFC breaking in transition. 
And so you can still play your game a little bit when you have the ball, but you need to be preparing on offense for defense, if that makes sense. And that's not a thing that Austin FC does all the time. So most of the time it's like, we're on offense. This is all we're thinking about. And I think just these little, little shifts in their shape, little shifts in their positioning. Yeah. Like you said, like you, both teams can't give up the ball. Somebody's going to have to have the ball at some point. And I think that's, that's the thing I would like to see Austin do is play with the true double pivot with two guys in the midfield, a little bit deeper, give Drew, see some more space to kind of run free and be the man. Uh, and then whenever we do give the ball up, we have more numbers behind to stop it from happening. Are there any concerns that, you know, if you speak to all or listen to all the talking heads across MLS landscape, they seem to single out Austin's outside backs as the weak spot. And the one big difference in this LAFC squad versus the last two games versus Austin is the addition of Denny Buanga and the force that he has proven in the front left side of LAFC's attack. You know, this gives Carlos Vela a little bit more rain to drift out to the right with Chicho Arango running up the middle. That's a front three that has really started to gel over the course of this playoffs and heading into it and something that Austin has really never faced. So what does Austin need to do? to stop an attack that no longer has a weak link on the left side with the arrival of Buanga. Yeah, I think it has more to do with awareness and positioning than it does with ability. Nick Lima is defensively, he's a pretty good fullback. I think whenever we get in trouble, as like I was saying before, he gets pushed up and leaves that space in behind. And Buanga is going to eat that space up, right? Like if we let him get back there and can get the ball out, that's trouble for Austin because you then have two, one very slow full center back and one like average speed center back chasing guys with their facing their own goal. And that's, that's when Austin's in trouble. And so I think Nick Lima is just going to have to be really smart about when he goes forward. And if he goes forward, maybe he just doesn't do that very often in this game, but that's going to be the key. I think like, if it's just like one-on-one -on -one defending, I'm not going to put a lot of money up against Boanga, but I, like I feel fairly comfortable with Lima facing up to him. It's whenever the ball goes over Lima's head and he's chasing Boanga, that's when I get nervous. And so I think that's we just need to keep that part from happening and then hope the rest of it is enough. Well, I mean, it, it's going to be an exciting weekend regardless of the outcome, uh, you know, but before we let you go, you know, what what do you think your overall uh, prediction is going to be for this weekend? Oh, man, I... I never know what to say in predictions. This league is unpredictable. This Austin FC team is unpredictable. I think it's going to be a fun one, though. I'm expecting goals. I'm going to say three to two, Austin FC. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I bet you if you were to ask us, we'd probably say three to two also, but the other way, right? <laughs> like, I think that we all expect that, yes, there are going to be back and forth goal action, and it's it's definitely going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and uh you know, it's unfortunate you're not going to be able to make the trip out to Los Angeles. Hopefully next season you'll be able to to come out west. But, uh, you know, we appreciate you coming on again. This is Landon Cottom from Moon Tower Soccer. You can give him a follow at Moon Tower Soccer. And, uh, you know, we look forward to having you back on next season. And, uh, you know, good luck this weekend. Thanks a lot, guys. I want to sneak one final question in there for you real quick, since this is the battle of breakfast tacos versus breakfast burritos. <laughs> what is what is your go to choice for filling in your breakfast taco? It depends on the spot, but the the place by my house, I always get two most weekends. I'll do one just kind of standard bacon, egg and cheese, 
And then the other one is chorizo, potatoes, beans, and cheese on a corn tortilla. Que authentico. Que authentico. <laughs> Thank you, Landon. Folks, we will be right back after this short break with the final segment of today's show. Hey, it's Kevin Frazier from Entertainment Tonight. And listen, I am an LAFC super fan. So I always make sure I download and listen to Shoulder to Shoulder podcasts. They keep me updated. But more importantly, I get to listen to these dudes' opinions about the team I love the most. Keep doing your thing, guys. All right, Chris, we're all prepped for our predictions. I think we've already sort of kind of said what we think is going to happen in this game. But uh, go ahead, my friend. Tactically, this is what I want to hear from you. What does LAFC need to do if they are to win this game? Who are the players? Where are the battles on the pitch that you think LAFC needs to win if we are going to come out on top? Honestly, I think that we are going to have to solidify our midfield. I think that that is going to be where our biggest hurdle is going to be. I think that that's where a lot of people have seen that, you know, that transition point. If we can prevent the midfield from allowing Austin FC's attackers to make the progression into their final third, if we can control the possession, I think that we're going to have a great game. You know, when we talked about with Landon about how we've outshot them and we've outpossessed them throughout the last two matches, I think that that's still going to be the case. LAFC puts shots on net and eventually those shots are going to go in. You know, that match, if I remember correctly too, that match in Austin back in August was like ungodly hot, right? So, you know, it's going to be a home field advantage. They get to sleep in their home routine. They don't have to travel, you know, and it's going to be at a, at a time that is not going to be that hot. Uh, So I I think that a lot of things point to work in the favor for LAFC. There's also a lot of players that, that Austin hasn't seen yet that have, you know, Denny Buongo was a player that wasn't really involved. I don't even think he had made his debut for us at that point. And, you know, he is, he is someone that, you're now going to have to be aware of and respect. And by doing that, that makes Carlos available for him to do the things that he is now doing and contributing and having the big body like Chicho Rongo. I, I mean, we our top three strikers are in really good positions right now. They're trending, they're in form and they're, they're clicking. So I think that that midfield, if we can hold onto the possession, not open up the opportunities for the Austin attack to finish in the final third and be able to facilitate the ball up to our three strikers and help them put it in. I think that the midfield Sifu, Acosta and uh, Ilya, those are, those are the players that I'm going to want to see come up big. Who are you starting at center back in this match? Do you bring Kalini back in off the bench or do you stick with Mario and Segura? I would stick with Mario and Segura. Those are the ones that have been playing right now. Uh, you know, Chiellini has shown that he is someone that coming off of the bench, he can still be a support. And I think that Chiellini was in that role as a, a, a starting center back, you know, because we were still rehabbing Segura. You know, Segura was coming back and he was slowly integrating himself back into the starting lineup and I think that, you know, the starting 11 that we saw against the Galaxy is going to be the same starting 11 that we see this upcoming uh, Sunday. My concerns going into this match, something we've talked about already on this show, something that helped the Galaxy find their first goal in this last match, is our defensive clearances. And we've talked about it on the show. Christian and I have gone back and forth about it. I do not understand 
why LAFC's defensive clearances seem to always come to the top of the box. This is something that I never see any other team do with the regularity that LAFC has done it this season. But when we are clearing the ball out of our own box, we have this tendency to find a wide open player in the offense for the other team that gives them a good look on goal. And if we are going to win this match, we have got to shore up those defensive clearances. They've got to take a minute, control the ball, figure out they've got some time and some space to get the ball back to Max or get the ball the heck out of the box. But we have fluffed so many clearances this year that have led to attacks coming the other direction. That's something we saw versus the Galaxy. We've seen a lot of times this year. And that's something that really, really concerns me about this LAFC team and something I hope they're talking about on the training pitch at the Performance Center this week as a way to button up that one little defensive lapse that I see. I do agree we are going to have to try and attack Austin through their outside backs. Austin's defense is not fantastic. Their offense is fantastic. Their defense is not fantastic. We've really got to expose that and take advantage of that. Regardless of who plays at center back, it's Kalini for me. If I'm putting a team out there, I'm putting Kalini in there. The experience, the ability, he's proven to me that he is an MLS best elite center back, and he should be perfectly well-rested and ready to go for this game. I think Kalini has to play at least a half if not a full 90 for me, but I, I certainly have faith in, in steady Eddie. Eddie Segura is one of the best guys on the team. Plus he's just a phenomenal player. And uh, I really think he's back into form back and ready to go for us. Mario has certainly proved that, uh, you know, his speed and his ability to get back are important as well too. So that's, that's going to be a big one for me and containing Driussi. Driussi is such a prolific talent. He has been phenomenal goal scorer throughout the course of this season, and especially in this postseason has been one to really carry Austin. Uh, we have got to find a way to just keep a man. Maybe it's Ilya Sanchez. I agree. This game could be won or lost in the midfield, depending on how we defend against Driussi in that midfield. It's going to be a massive, massive game for Ilya Sanchez. I know he's up for it. It's going to be a massive game for Acosta and Sifu as well, too. And we're going to have to try and find a way to beat Stuver. Stuver has been on his head making fantastic saves throughout the course of this postseason. He is a phenomenal goalkeeper. We've got to find a way to eliminate his ability when it comes to getting good shots, taking that extra pass, making sure the man is open and got a good look at goal here. But uh, it's going to be a fun one, my friend. So let's do it. Let's go ahead and put our predictions where our pot is, my friend. What is your prediction for a final score in this match? Well, you know, I had said that the, you know, the 3-2, right? But I really think, you know, especially when you look at the way that Austin had actually been trending and Landon had mentioned it too, they didn't finish the season particularly too well, right? They looked a little slow and lacklustered against RSL and they got up for a rivalry match, right? Like, I'm not 100% sure that Austin is going to come out and look as dynamic as they had been at when they beat us back in August. I'm thinking it's going to be like a 3-1 victory, dude. I think that LAFC is going to come out. We're going to score three. They're going to get one on us. But I really think that LAFC is going to have a fairly dominant performance. And it's going to be something that, that sets the bar and sets the tone for the MLS championship. I hope you're right. I would love to see a 3-1 game. I'm going to go ahead and predict a 4-2 LAFC victory. I just think both of these teams have such potent offenses 
that they're going to find the back of the net. I think LAFC's defense is going to go ahead and win this one out for us. And I think we're, you know, to keep Austin to just one goal would be fantastic. I just see them having the attacking pieces and the ability to score more than one. I don't see Austin's defense as being able to keep out the balanced attack now with Vela, Arango, and Buanga all up top there. I think LAFC are finding the back of the net four times. I think LAFC are going to take an early lead. I don't think that's going to phase Austin, just like Landon was telling us. They're a team that has played from behind many, many games this season. I think we're going to go ahead and storm out to a lead. They're going to claw their way back, and then we're going to apply the pressure again and run away with this one in the end. 4-2, my final prediction. All right, brother, anything else you want to talk about before we go ahead and wrap a bow on this episode? I'm just going to say that since they beat us, since they beat us in the regular season play, they've had four losses, one win in regular season play and what is it two two draws four losses two draws and one win okay they were shut out three to zero back-to-back matches at the beginning of september nashville seattle you know they had they put up three against rsl one one tie shut out against vancouver one against colorado and then two against rsl and then two against fc dallas I do. I think it's very possible that they only put one up, right? Like I just, I think that I just don't think that Austin is the same team that it was at the end of August when they beat us and they put up four. I just don't think it's the same team. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I would love to see a three-one game. I'm just stoked that I'm actually going to get to see this game. Uh, up until just a few hours ago, it looked like I was going to have to work on Sunday. I want to give a huge shout out to my coworker, Kim, who is going to cover my shift on Sunday. I'm not going to say the the wealthy sum in which I had to shell out in order to make that happen, but it is money well spent. I'm so stoked that I just get to be there for this game. But shouts to the homie, Kim. If y'all want to grab yourself a bottle of District 9 Ultras tequila to help celebrate this upcoming Western Conference final game and victory and hopefully an MLS Cup as well, too. There are still plenty of bottles available at flaskfinewines.com. A portion of the proceeds of every one of those bottle sales go to the Mo Fascio Memorial Futsal Court. Mo, we love you, brother. We want to get this court built for you. I know you are there with us for each one of these victories. The Dodgers weren't able to win for Vin. I'm really hoping LAFC can win for Mo and win for all of us that have been bleeding black and gold for all these years, seeing our team perform so well throughout the regular season but fall short in the past when it comes to the postseason. All of those things are going away this year. It's MLS Cup or bust. We are on our way. Two more games at the bank. Two more dubs. We love you, folks. Thank you so much for listening to episode 130 and Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. We will go ahead and catch you on the next one. Until then, take us home, Sticks. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.